yes. And I want to thank you guys as we continue to go through a transition of trying to do a little bit better at uh, the, being able to share with those who are able to join us on a Zoom call or on the, on the Facebook Live. Um, you got me switched over to the microphone. Great. That should be better. If you guys are on the call and you're not able to hear or something like that, please let us know, okay? All right, Mark chapter 9. I'm going to begin at verse 2. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. Mark 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, they've been in Caesarea Philippi, and he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. We really don't know why they knew exactly who they were, okay? Um, that's almost a sermon by itself, isn't it? The, it says, in the transfiguration moment, not only is there a veil lifted, but it's like time is suspended. Boom. And so, uh, where am I at here? Verse uh, Verse 4. And they were talking with Jesus. That's Elijah and Moses. Again, they represent the law and the prophets, right? The highest expression of truth that every good Jewish person would have heard in their lives. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. The word for good there is beautiful. Uh, it's a good thing. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter is deciding to make everybody busy. We're all going to be participants in it. We'll all be busy. Um, let's see here. For he did not know what to answer for... Oh, wait a minute. There wasn't a question, was there? <laughs> right? He didn't know what to answer. He's answering a question that wasn't being asked. <laughs> anyway, for they became terrified. Take note of that word, terrified. Verse 7... Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen. And, and uh, in your column, it might say, like mine does, uh, give constant heed is what my, another way of saying that. Listen to him. Give constant heed to him. All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Powerful message just in that I could preach alone. Well, on that verse 8. Uh, verse 9, as they were coming down to the mountain, he gave them orders to relate, not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And then, of course, verse 10, they seized upon the moment to try to figure out what does rising from the dead mean. I've titled the message this morning, Transfiguration That Transforms. Um, it had been... Uh, for Denise and I, a topic of discussion in our family reunion that summer of 1987. And the topic was this. Um, I had been sick. Let's see, we've been married by that point, 87, four years, right? Yeah. No, five. Five years. Oh, Ben. You didn't see that. This didn't happen. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Holy smokes. No, wait. No, honey, 87. We were married in 84 years. Yeah. Oh, whew. 
Oh, that's <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, there we are. Some people are listening to this. Okay. So what had happened is really what began for me when I was, and I related this little bit of this story last week when I talked about a, an inflammatory bowel disease that I discovered when I was 14. Now I am older, 23, I think, by that point. Anyway, um, we'd reached a point where nothing was able to keep it under control. And uh, I say we, it was, it was me. And I saw a physician here in town, a, a surgeon who just looked at me clearly and said, uh, nah, that's got to come out, your colon. I said, like, like what's got to come out? He said, like, your entire colon. And so Denise and I heard it. We sat down together and talked to the surgeon, listened with our best hearing ears, which, by the way, is interesting because we, we were, at that point, pretty good at hearing. Um, and I, because this is critical to this story. We, we go to this reunion, and we're telling my family, this is my family reunion, uh, sometime in the next year, we're going to be having to make a decision. It's going to be a potentially life-altering surgery. It's going to have to happen sometime in the next year. We've just been thinking we might like to have children. We're not sure about this, all that kind of thing. And so, you know, pray for us. We're trying to think it through, talk it through, pray it through. Got back from the reunion, went back to my normal role of employment, which at that time I was working as a resident chaplain at Parkview Hospital. So I'm making my rounds in the morning. I come by my surgeon that I would normally see in the morning, and he stops me with a stern question. Why haven't you scheduled this surgery? I said, what? what I, I thought we had some time here. I thought you said sometime in the next year. To which he answers emphatically, no, like what I meant was now. Interesting. See, it's things that you hear and you don't hear when you don't want to hear it. And so suddenly I had this sobering discussion that I'm going to have to make some decisions and quickly. And within days... I'm scheduled on the calendar, August 23rd, 1987. I'm in surgery. And that surgery went on, Denise, what, six hours or something like that? I don't know. But the point is your colon touches almost every major organ in your body. It's a long, detailed. It's in, I'm told by some that it's more detailed even than having open-heart surgery. It's more entailed. All kind of stuff that they do to you when you're going through that. Anyway, when I woke up uh, from that surgery, I realized something had been done to every part of my vital organ in my body. <laughs> I mean, I was like, ugh. And um, so as I woke up from the surgery, not only did I feel horrible, um, but I was in a lot of pain, but I had this sense of like, ugh, hanging over me. So when I saw these bright lights above me, it was not great. And I'm like, find some, give me some medication, make it go away. I'm trying to figure out, and I just felt terrible. So go through that night into the next day. Denise left sometime during the next day to go get some rest. That's how we had scheduled it. But somewhere in that afternoon of the following day on the 24th, Denise is off resting. Uh, I'm noticing that my nurse is coming in and looking a little bit more frequently on me with this time with the lead nurse. Now, again, I know a lot of these people by name because I work there, right? And so I'm thinking, this probably doesn't look so great. And I'm continuing to feel just overall lousy. 
until finally the surgeon is called in. It's toward the latter part of the afternoon, and he comes, sits on, his be- on my bed and said, we got to go back in. I said, nah, can't we wait? He said, no, we, we need to, and now. And so I, I just, I remember t- taking on a kind of an optimistic sort of position at that point because I, I was feeling some sense like I'm doing everything right the way it should be done. We've got these things all lined up. So I took, I, w- I sang as they rolled me out down the hallway. Um, you know, it's curious. I'm bleeding out, which is what was happening. And they're wheeling me down the hallway and I'm singing, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. That's what I was singing. So uh, then, as, by the way, my doctor, you know, months and years later, jokes with me. He said, Ben, I've done surgery on hemophiliacs that didn't bleed as much. In fact, come to think of it, Ben, I've never had anybody bleed out as much as you. Okay, I can laugh now, but on the afternoon of August 24th, it was a different story. So I'm going down. I'm on my way down. I head to the... To the, uh, I remember being wheeled into the elevator, and uh, the elevator doors open directly in front of the OR, and I'm sort of like, oh man, I'm still I'm not feeling so great. And then the lead surgical nurse, who happens to be the daughter of my direct supervisor, she's an RN, she greets me, and she can't speak. She's just weeping. This is when the realization hits me. Maybe I can't optimize my way out of this. This is not good. She's not saying anything but weeping, and everybody is yelling. And so they moved me onto the operating table. I remember uh, seeing my surgeon stand over me, uh, rocking back and forth, and raising his voice at the anesthesiologist. Again, Again, another individual that I've come to know. And the anesthesiologist, the last thing I hear him saying as my surgeon made this question, he said, can we get going? His reply was, he's not stable. That's the last thing I remember. And it wasn't some sort of a mystical thing, but the truth is I remember feeling myself begin. I've been put under many different times. It wasn't like that at all. I felt myself beginning to do the floaty thing. Float, float, float. And I thought... Oh, my goodness, this might be the end of it. And I had an incredible, unexplicable, profound peace to the core of my being. It's okay. I may not wake. It's okay. Denise hates it when I tell this story because she said, you didn't have the right to be okay with that. <laughs> said, I didn't want to be alone. So, um, but when I woke from that surgery, same bright fluorescent lights, almost as bright as those, if I look straight in. I mean, why do they put fluorescent lights? No, don't worry about that. It's our. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So, anyways, as you know, you're waking from surgery and you have fluorescent lights in a recovery room, but, you know, and I, my eyes creep open and I felt such a profound joy and peace in my body because I knew without any doubt in my, any shred of my being that I was in the hand of God, that God had touched my body. And this, this, I mean, I felt it profoundly deep into my spirit 
You know, all of my life, I had tried my best to serve God, but I always felt this hanging shadow of doubt and shame at times, especially being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And, but boy, in that moment, there was such a profound grace that I knew, and to this day, I know, you cannot talk me out of that. It was transforming. And, and I, was, I was more than just blinded by these fluorescent lights that were above me. I was deeply aware of the activity of God in my body and in my life. And, you know, when I, I reflect on that story, it strikes me that I had grown up in and around church and those of you who've grown up in and around church, you know this to be true. There's no shortage of words about God. We sing them. We should. Uh, we pray them. We should. But that moment was not about words. It was a profoundly transforming moment. Peter, James, and John are on the mount. And that moment, beloved, was not about words. But the word that had become flesh in their life. See, in all the words that can be said about the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a lot of things that are there. The Word became flesh, yes. We'll look at that here in just a minute. But what happened there? Well, good question. Near as I can explain it, it's as if the veil lifted. And for these individuals, these three disciples, time suspended. They see Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say. Some of us who've had this idea that somehow Jesus like uh, went, there goes my physical body. I d I'm doing this sort of weird Marvel movie kind of moment. No, actually, actually, here's what happened is that in the Mount of Transfiguration did not change a thing about the Jesus that was on the Mount of Transfiguration as the Jesus of today, still in his human body, still God. What happened is that Peter, James, and John get this moment. Whoa! Jesus, that's you? Now, I, I want to give us a little bit of backdrop. Mark 9, Mark 8... Remember what has happened. Um, in Mark 8, they're in Caesarea Philippi about a week earlier. Six days earlier, Jesus turns to his friends and says, Who do people say I am? Some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say John the Baptist. Um, and Peter says, You're the Christ. Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the, the Father who's in heaven. And then 
right? Great moment, right? And then Jesus said, um, great job, Peter. Now let me talk to you about this. Because the, the idea for every young Jewish boy and girl is they've been taught that God is going to send a deliverer, a Messiah, kind of like Moses. It's going to deliver us. And they have an imagination in their mind. Oh, beloved, this is so important, what we fill our minds and our hearts with. But So they've got an imagination in their mind. You've got a leader that's going to come. You're the Christ. You're that one. And you're going to be like that one, Moses. And you're going to deliver us. And so in their mind, they have this imagination of power that overcomes. Power that gives, at least gives vindication, if not punishment, to the oppressors around them. Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon, you got it. Simon's like, yeah, I do. And then Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected and killed and raised up in three days. Simon's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Did, uh, Jesus, remember, I told you, you're that guy. In fact, what is so crazy about the text in Romans, or I'm not Romans, Mark 8, is that, is that, Peter is so certain of his conviction that he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, remember, we're certain, so let me share with you. I'm going to be optimistic for you since you don't seem to get what we need to be at this point. I'll be optimistic. This isn't going to happen to you. The Messiah is coming into the world that is reeled out of control, and, and doesn't a king bring the world under control? Oh, wait a minute. There's those worn-out expressions of religion. Certainty, optimism, control. And Jesus not only corrects Peter, at the end of Romans 8, he said, uh, you know what, if you're going to follow me, this is where you're going to wind up. You're going to take a cross and follow me. His kingdom is revealed by faith. It's anchored in hope. It's sustained in love. So important that our imagination is captured with the right imagination. I have a good friend who shared this, and I, I, I'm just going to re, I'm going to share what he posted here a couple of weeks ago, but he said, you know, we can have certainty about God or faith in God. There's a subtle but a vital difference. Certainty, and by the way, interestingly, that's the world that many of us have grown up in, breeds rigidity. Faith welcomes surrender. Certainty puffs up. I know what's right. Faith builds up. We can be optimistic about the future or we can have hope. There's a difference. Optimism is too often has no place for doubt, for lament, fear. Hope welcomes all of it. Blessed are those who lament. Hope befriends unwanted data and faces pain in the promise of redemption. Now, we can control people or we can love them. 
We can have a God of control or a God of love. Love works differently than control. Love frees while control constrains. Love empowers while control overpowers. Love doesn't insist on having its own way. Control must get what it wants. Certainly, this idea of certainty, optimism, and control, we're all very, very familiar with it. It's how the world works. It's how political systems work. Dare I even say this? We even sell and share ideas about faith with those sort of ideas in the backdrop? If you're certain, you get these three points right. You can be optimistic. You can control what the outcome will be. That's transactional Christianity. That's religion. Common, appreciated, sought after, welcome, but they're fading away, impermanent, and they are part of the old order. Ultimately, they are incapable and completely incapable of providing life that is abundant. The forces of new creation are faith, hope, and love. These three remain, and the greatest is love. Peter is reaching for a worn-out expression. So that brings us to our text. Six days after Peter had relied on the power of his words, okay, Jesus takes him up on a high mountain, and he reveals himself as the living word. And friends, that is what transfiguration is all about. Transfiguration is the place where our words, oh, the disciples' words about Jesus are revealed as weak and incomplete. Transfiguration is the place where our words meet the living word. Transfiguration is a place where we meet God in ways that words can't simply not express. And, and the good news of today's gospel is that he did then what he did then, I believe he still does today. That's good news. You see, uh, this is the moment where we have Peter, James, and John encountering the living word, Jesus. It's very much probably what inspires uh, John at the opening of his gospel. Let's see, how did he put that? We beheld him. He's talking about this moment, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, and he dwelled among us. Jesus, there's more to you than we ever imagined. I had no idea. How do I describe what I, is almost beyond description, transfiguration. It didn't change you, but oh, how it impacted transformed these followers of Jesus the veil being lifted he's walking among the law and the prophets the, the highest authority that they had ever known and then suddenly they see Jesus you're more than that and uh, I, I want to make sure that I note this I, I said it while we were reading through the scripture but Peter said it's good and beautiful remember that right it's good that we're here Let's make three tabernacles. 
And then don't miss that in verse 6, Mark said they were terrified. That word is only used twice in the New Testament. The second time that it's used is in the book of Hebrews, referring to Moses when he's before the presence of God, shaking. The, they are shaken to the core of their being. This, and, and what is Peter's response? Mm. It's good, but he's terrified. He's trying to get a handle on something. He's trying to fix it. Peter's words, again, were actually another religious reach for something that he's known. He knows enough of the Scripture. Let's see God's deliverance. It's got to be that. It's got to be certainty, optimism, control, right? Got to be that. And a voice says, that's my son. Now listen. What are they supposed to listen to? The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon by the Sea. And, and I think in that moment for Peter, James, and John, it becomes clear. They're convinced of a deliverance in their imagination. Peter reveals it a little later. He pulls out a sword, right? By the power of sword, by the power or punishment. The point of the voice from heaven is this isn't about the deliverance you've heard about or one that you've imagined in your mind. It's about the deliverer. It's not your ideas of deliverance. It's the person, the person of deliverance meeting you. There's more going on than what you can see. Ah, beloved, I want to proclaim that over us in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we've got friends we're praying for and have been praying with, and we're like, I don't know what the answer looks like, but I trust this. There's more going on than what I can see. Transfiguration that transforms their thinking and invites them to change their mind. Beauty. Presence, glory that are not the consequence of them doing things the right way. But seeing Jesus, seeing something I've never seen before. You're the Christ. More than my greatest imagination of a great military leader, my word. You're walking among the, the prophets, but now they're gone and it's just you. Listen to him. Little wonder that later on, Paul, when he's writing, he says in Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then later he says to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we draw close to him, that is Jesus, with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil at all, become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We're being transformed into his very image as we move from one glory to another. That is such a stunning discourse Paul gives at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, proclaiming, you know, Moses, the one that you guys were thinking about, and he had this glory, this, right? And Jesus, we saw this glory, and Paul is connecting those dots and saying, that's occurring in you as you gaze upon him. Oh, my word. So they're instructed not to talk about what they've seen, but to listen until he rises from the dead. So how well did they do at that? Well, 
What did they write about? Let's see here. James. They all wrote epistles. Remember that? James, chapter 1, verse 25, out of the Passion Translation. Those who gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth that they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. James is talking about gazing on the perfect expression of the law of Jesus. Peter, 2 Peter 1, amen. There's all kinds of verses, but listen to this one. Uh, we, don't, we don't follow cleverly devised tales. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We received honor and glory from the God the Father, such as a declaration as was made by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased. He's talking about that moment. And we ourselves heard this declaration on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made sure to which we pay attention. What's he paying attention to? Jesus. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Lord, it's dark. How do I find light? Just gaze upon this man. Until the day dawns, and listen to the latter part of this verse, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's like, I got it. This is about what you're doing here. John, oh my goodness, all the things he wrote, you know, that's how he begins his gospel. But look, listen to 1 John. What was from the beginning we've heard, verses 1 and 2, 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2, um, what we've seen with our eyes and what we looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was revealed. We've seen, we testify, we proclaim the eternal life, which was from the Father and revealed to us. Chapter 4, verse 15, we've come to know right here and believe the love God has for us. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Don't, don't talk about this. Listen. As they listened, what did they say? Gaze upon him. Be captured by him. Listen. Listen. And guys, it doesn't come easy. You know, for Peter, he's terrified. What is he doing? He's reaching for what he's known. We do the same. We're people of words. And a lot of them are good words. But sometimes we need to pause because here's, here's what I want to say. I'm, I'm going to read something from a pastor. I read this last week. His name is Scott Clark. I think he's a Presbyterian pastor somewhere. can't remember where. Um, we've all had moments, but I would call these transfiguration moments. You may have experienced mo times in your life, those moments when there are no words, Moments of awe at a sunset more beautiful than you've ever seen. Moments of loss too deep to speak. Moments of tenderness, a hand to hold when you needed it the most. Those places where words run out. There are deep traditions, Christian traditions and beyond Christian traditions that include in our experience of God and the holy space for silence and reverence and awe, the silence beyond words, prayer beyond our knowing, 
only our intention to be present with God in response to God's intention, listen to this, to be present to us. That is what transfiguration is about, that it transforms. You know, I was pondering this as I was going through, I typically go through the, my message on a Sunday morning, and I thought, you know, here's some thoughts. I, just two or three things I want to say. Can I just challenge us as we think about transfiguration? Lord, I'm thinking back about some of those moments and how do I describe them? Can I just say this? Not everything needs words, but it does need surrender, right? Lord, I acknowledge there's something that you've done there. And, and the cross, the cross isn't just about denial. It's about wholeness. God isn't just about wanting to see us be self-flagellating followers of him, but actually be whole people, whole humans that can, 2 Corinthians 3, reflect something of the glory of heaven. So, surrender to that word in my life is what faith is about, that I believe in the activity of God that is beyond my control. Even so, come Lord Jesus, that's often my prayer. So I think about rehearsing that phrase of the early church, and I know you've heard me share this before. This is the mystery of our confession. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again here in me. Yes, Lord. Listen. Listen to him. Truth that is bigger than words can convey. Love that is deeper than our knowing. Life that's stronger than death. Listen. Let it transform how you see everything. Because in that moment, there isn't really anything left to say, but there is everything left to live. Transfiguration that transforms that brings us to the place where the words of Jesus become the revelation of his presence. Transfiguration, the place where our words surrender to the living word. Transfiguration, the place where God meets us in ways that words can't express. And the good news today is this. He did then, and he does now. And that is good news. Amen? Amen. I want to invite us to close this morning in sharing this prayer, and then I want to close us with a couple of other prayers. Um, but I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me, and let's pray this prayer, and it's going to lead us up to communion. And then, of course, if you came this morning prepared to give, we are so grateful. If those of you are on the call, if you're able to give, we We've got a couple of ramps there. I know we have a ramp on the website that you can access to give, and we're grateful for that. We thank you. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let's pray this prayer together. Holy God, mighty and immortal, you are beyond our knowing. 
yet we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, whose compassion illumines the world. Transform us into the likeness of the love of Christ, who renewed our humanity so that we may share in his divinity the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.